Welcome to Factum Agri, dedicated to New Zealand's agriculture industry. Each week, I talk with farmers and industry professionals to hear their stories and expert opinions on various industry-related matters that are relevant to both our farming and our urban communities. Dairy prices lifted a further 1.8% at the latest global dairy trade event this week. Whole milk powder prices lifted by 2.3%. Whole milk prices are now trading at the highest level in nearly five years. That positive position is across all contract periods, which highlights strong demand. This contrasts to early in the season when the strength was in the near-term contracts as buyers fought to secure supply. Butter prices were the biggest winner this week, lifting 6.2% to be 19.6% higher than a year ago. The dairy index lifted another 1.9% in US dollar terms last week. US dollar fruit prices are up 17.5% on a year ago, while forestry prices are up 16%. A quick look at the Colgate sale yards result here in Canterbury from February 4th saw 1,000 prime lambs go under the hammer ranging from $100 to $190. 2,000 stall lambs were sold and the lighter end fetched the $50 mark whilst the top end reached $110. Pretty good result. This week on Factum Agri, I talked with Felicity Clark, who has many things to her local farming community in the Bay of Plenty. She is a mother, a wife, a farmer, a coach, a personal trainer, and a counsellor and mental health advocate for rural people. She influences many people's lives for the better by authentically building connections with them, creating various environments for them to thrive and develop skills, tools and wellness in their lives. Let's check in with her now. Hello Felicity, thank you for your time today. Yes, hello Angus and how are you today? I'm great. Please can you tell me about your farm, where you are located and what you farm? Yes, so... um I'm on a little dairy farm in Waimana Bay of Plenty. Um, so we're 27 kilometres from Whakatane. Um, we're on a 120 hectare dairy farm and we milk 430 um, cows, Holstein-Frisian cows. I understand you set up a community gym and wellbeing retreat in a cow shed some 10 years ago. Can you tell me about that? Yeah, so um, basically this this is my second gym in the cow shed. Um, my first one was in a wool shed and I converted that one about 20 years ago. And the reason behind me converting the gyms was um, it was to give me a positive project. Um, so a few years ago now, I actually lost a, um, a child with a toddler with leukaemia. So I used that as a positive project. Um, activity to get me back on track that gym then closed and I concentrated on um, my family and then I ended up with having some mental health issues as well Um, so then about 10 years ago I was approached again by a lady in a community that was suffering with um, obesity and mental health and it started me back on the track of converting another gym so yes so this gym's in a um, in an old cow shed so it's basically the buildings and cow shed are around um, on this farm that we built, um, we brought, sorry. And um, it started off with just um, just this one lady and myself. Um, I was personal training with her to help her through her health and well-being. 
Um, we started off with just a little um, a rower and I bought her a, a bike and that sort of grew within the community and then other people started coming along and saying, look, we want to be part of this. And so here we are 10 years later um, and we now have 30 members and we've gone from um, sandbags and having inflations um, with rubber resistance to now we've got proper weights and training gear. That's wonderful. And it's a, yeah, it's basically a place where a lot of the community go um, just to sort of have some time out or, yeah, to basically get fit and meet other people. As you know, we're, we're quite a way away from um, gyms, you know, in mm. close proximity. So, yes. Mm. Women are at the heart of rural communities and the family environment. They are involved in all aspects of the work and family life. Would it be fair to say women keep all various components of rural life together? Yes, absolutely. And and I've been, you know, I've been one of those women for the past 30 years. So we are juggling lots of things, um, you know, with the children, their activities. A lot of them have to travel, um, you know, 20, 30 minutes to get to sporting events. Um, a huge part of the PTA meetings, the communities. We also there to support our partners um, with with farming and looking after the house, and some could be homeschooling. So yeah, we are. Um, I always say the women are like the nucleus to the family. We have to keep the everything ticking over, and and I always say, happy wife, happy family. Mm, indeed. Do rural women make enough time for themselves and their well being? No, they absolutely don't. Um, I've been doing a lot of work with this over the past 20 years um, and I've noticed a lot of women are struggling with having that time for themselves or I call it filling their own cup. Um, you know, they're, they're having to juggle lots of lots of different things during the day and like I mentioned before is, you know, um, the community, the, the school, the kids, getting them to and throw places and I think so they sort of put their their own health and well-being on the back burner and this is what I'm seeing um, you know in these last few years now a lot of the women are really struggling um, with yeah with their mental health and depression. Mm. In recent times we've seen things like mycoplasma bovis, drought and COVID-19 throw up all kinds of challenges. How have these things impacted rural women? Yeah, so these have had a, you know, these have had a massive impact on rural women. Um, just recently with COVID, um, I work for the Rural Trust support team now, which is um, a job that I thoroughly enjoy, and they they do such great work into the community. Mm. Um, Notice with um, COVID was um, I one of my jobs was actually to ring around and find out how people were in the community, you know, because you weren't able to go and see them face to face. And I was just receiving, you know, talking to numerous women that were really struggling with um, with the COVID, um, being in lockdown. You know, they said it was okay for the, the partners. They were getting out on the farm. But the women, they were really struggling. They were homeschooling. They were isolated. They're isolated anyway. Um, so they weren't able to get out and meet people. And as I say, I think the COVID was a really was a really big challenge out of all the other things that have happened in, in you know, farming. Yeah, I certainly 
hear what you're saying around the isolation of many farmers anyway. And of course, as you mentioned, the farmer or the husband primarily, not in all cases, but mainly would go out, do the farm work and woman stay at home, can't go anywhere. Plus she now has to homeschool children. Yeah, absolutely right. And so from this, um, from making these phone calls, this is where we were very lucky um, with the Rural Trust. They said to me, how can we help? What can we do? And so we put together um, workshops. I put together some wellbeing workshops to get, you know, once we got out of lockdown, that the women were able to come to these workshops. We, we ran them at Lake Rotomar. Um, they were able to get off farm and we actually did the Wheel of Wellness with them. So they were learning about, um, you know, nutrition, happiness, um, movement, and it sort of brought these women together. And and I think it really helped with them going forward, um, giving them the tools to, yeah. Mm. I understand you were nominated for Women of Influence in 2020. Yes, it was a it was a it was actually a lovely surprise. Um, I've been doing a lot of this work um, in the community for about the past thirty years, and Fonterra recognised the work that I was doing, so um, they nominated me as a woman of influence. Um, I felt very humble actually to be to be nominated because there's lots of amazing women out there, and I actually don't think that what I do is really that exciting but someone did um, so that was a nomination for um, for setting up the rural gyms in the community and for my latest work with um, putting together these well-being rural workshops. Fantastic what ultimately drives you in the community work that you do and are you seeing results? Yes well I've um, I suppose I've come from a place where um I actually suffered from post-traumatic stress, I suffered from depression, and I suffered from burnout. Burnout was a lot of my involvement in rural um, and in the community. And through, um, through my own personal experiences, I decided that I wanted to learn what the tools that I've learned now, and as I say, I ended up um, training to be a personal trainer, and then I also ended up doing a diploma in psychology and counselling because I wanted to help other people in the community. Um, you know, I'd been down that track and I knew what worked for me, um, that there was a light at the end of the tunnel and it was just having the right tools to, to use and get me back on track. Um, it has definitely helped in the community. Um, I would call myself Dear Abby, I suppose. Then hmm. I get lots of, I get lots of knocks on my, you know, on my doors, um, hmm. people um, to come and talk to me. The problem being is I see as well is that, you know, people are ringing up, they're needing to go and see psychologists or, you know, counsellors, but the demand out there is huge um, and there's large waiting lists. So um, this is why I've sort of, you know, prepared to sort of let somebody talk and, and to be a good listener. And we, you know, as I say, through the trust, we're very lucky. We have all these special organisations that we can um, direct these these people to. But yeah, I definitely think it is. Um, I think I am having an influence, and even through the recent workshops, um, I've had people have attended the workshops and they've come back and rang me up and said I was at the bottom of the cliff before I came came to your workshop. So. And as I say, I'm passionate about I do what I do. I've been there, um, 
and yeah. Felicity, how do people get in touch with you uh, and get involved with your workshops? Okay, so interesting. So at the moment, um, where I'm at, so basically when my workshop started was um, last year and it was when the Rural Trust approached me and said, can you come up with something? We need something. So it was pretty much put together in about three weeks, Mm. these workshop days. And so we ran... um, half a dozen with the trust and so they they have finished now but I am in the process now is because I just so passionate about what what I'm wanting to do I'm mm. actually in the process of setting up my own little um business um Fantastic. so at the moment I haven't got you know I've only got my name there we don't have websites we don't have Instagram or anything like that because as I say it was all very rushed before Christmas and after COVID mm. um but watch the space. Um, watch yes. the space, absolutely. And in the meantime, people can connect to you uh, via the Rural Support Trust uh, through absolutely. their website. Yeah, the Rural Trust. Yeah, we're, um, with the Rural Trust support, and um, we've got some amazing um, facilitators, you know, within within that support group. Um, and it just basically depends on what people are, you know, what, what they're struggling with. We all specialise in our own d- different little niches. So, um, mm. yeah, but by all means, um, my doors are always open, um, you know. Felicity, do you think there's a disconnect between rural and urban communities? Yeah, I do. Um, and it's And I think mainly, someone asked me this question the other day, and I think it's... Um, You know, when you look at, like, um, urban, I mean, they've got restaurants, they've got cafes and gyms and sport clubs and all those sorts of things, and they're just down the road. They're a great place for um, to connect with other people. Whereas for for rural, you know, we don't have that. We don't have that where we can just whip down, you know, let's go and catch up with a friend for a coffee or, or, you know, they want to join up a sports club because then you've got to take in consideration the time, the travelling, you know, and some people will say, "Look, I just don't have—I just don't have the time to be part of that." That you know, like what urban, um, what urban people have. Indeed, and how important is farming and your farming community uh, where you live? So yes, yeah, so farming is is really important. I mean, it's—I um, suppose it's you know it's important to New Zealand um, business-wise. Um, and the farming, the farming communities are really important as well. Like, we have to try and do lots of networking in the in the communities. Um, we have to make. Sh- I mean, I know for me personally in Waimana, um, you know, we I've set up the gym and things like that. We're trying to, yeah. So with the rural communities, it's it's about keeping keeping those communities together and finding ways that that they can meet and interact, mm-hmm. which I think. Thing what's happening now is, um, and I'm noticing a lot when the schools, when you're part of a school, you know, and your children go to school and you're part of that, you do have that networking, you do have that contact. But then all of a sudden, if your children are left home or you don't have children, that's actually lacking in the communities. And you're seeing it so different nowadays to what it was 30 years ago. We don't have, you know, the the lots of gatherings and things like that. So that's why I'm really aware of. Um, and especially going out into other communities and doing my work that we're trying to set up organisations or things that people can do in those communities. Mm. 
And it sounds like you are doing a wonderful job in your community and you are having a really positive influence, particularly on on the women uh, in your communities. So keep it up. And I certainly look forward to hearing more about uh, the business that you're going to launch. I'm sure it's going to be a great success. And I thank you very, very much for your time today. Yes, thank you, Angus. Felicity Clark is a wonderful person doing fantastic work in her community. Through her own challenging experiences in life, she suffered post-traumatic stress from her childhood and she lost her toddler to leukemia. As a father to a toddler myself, the thought of my child having their life cut short in the same way makes me feel sick to the stomach, and I can't imagine just how horrific that would have been. Felicity now dedicates her time to helping others improve their well-being. She talked about the gym she created and the safe environment where rural women can come together and focus on themselves. This proved to be vital during the aftermath of the COVID-19 lockdown. Whilst farmers were out doing what they do, keeping the economy going, and in many instances, the women in our farming communities stayed at home and kept the fires burning, as well as homeschooling children. Now, many of our urban friends were in the same boat, but for our farmers, COVID compounded challenges they were already facing. Plates were already full with M. bovis and drought, increased isolation due to COVID-19 lockdowns turned the screws further. I talked about this on more than one occasion last year. Our farming women are unsung heroes. Felicity's well-being retreats and gym in the Bay of Plenty have become very important in her community. This is evident by the continued increase in membership numbers. And it is no surprise that she is now a facilitator with the Bay of Plenty Rural Support Trust, which of course does a superb job in supporting our farmers. When considering the well-being of our farmers and their importance to New Zealand's economy, government agencies need to be taking a collaborative approach to change. When you look at the Climate Change Commission advice report to the government, my first question is, does this address the advancements already made by farmers in recent times? And is the view of the Climate Change Commission one of incentivising and supporting farmers through what is proving to be an anxiety-inducing process that is far from delivering a clear pathway for our farmers? Farmers buy into this process is critical and they need to know exactly how they can make further positive changes without compromising their businesses or their well-being. And I'll say it again, this needs to be led equally by industry and the government. In the coming weeks, I will delve into this report and we'll be talking with farmers, farming groups and indeed government agencies to discuss what is looking like not only our farmers' greatest challenge in a lifetime, but indeed New Zealand as a whole. Thank you for listening and catch you next time on Factor Magri.